0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. You can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, please, or maybe you're you're still there. Luke chapter 2, on this day after Christmas... We're going to examine a portion of the text that we read from, from just a few minutes ago, Luke 2, verses 8 through 18. And this may be more of a Bible study than an actual sermon, but uh, either way, we need God's help. So let's, let's pray together again briefly. Father, tonight, as always, we need your help. So please guide us, illumine our hearts and minds, help me to think and speak clearly, and may the remainder of this service be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A couple weeks ago, Rachel Lowther sang the song, Sweet Little Jesus Boy, do you remember that? The words of that song remind us of the fact that when Jesus was born, many did not know who he was. In other words, they failed to recognize Jesus, the Messiah. We didn't know you came to save us, the song goes, to take our sins away. Our eyes were blind. We did not see. We didn't know who you were. And that's all true. God's chosen people, the Jews, had been waiting for their Messiah for centuries. But sadly, most of them failed to realize that he had come in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And by the way, it wasn't an innocent mistake on their part. Instead, it was willful rejection, willful blindness. And it's still that way today. Sadly, many around the world still stumble over the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jews today still fail to recognize Jesus as God and Messiah. Muslims believe that Jesus was an important prophet, but they also deny that he is God and Savior. Certain followers of Eastern religions believe that Jesus was a wise teacher. Some will even accept that he is a God That is one of many gods, but they do not view him as the unique son of God and Savior. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that there's one God, Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament. That sounds okay. However, they believe that Jesus was a created being not on par with Jehovah God. And of course, we could cite other examples of rejection and unbelief. But what does the Bible say about who Jesus is? Well, to answer that question, we could start in a hundred different places uh, in our Bibles, right? But since this is Christmas, or the day after Christmas, we're going to start first with a Christmas passage to answer the question, who was the baby born in Bethlehem? Who was he? Better yet, who is he? Who is Jesus? We already read our scripture text, but let me reread verses 10 and 11 of Luke chapter 2. Verses 10 and 11. And the angel said unto them, unto the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So who is Jesus? Who is the baby that was born in Bethlehem? that day well Luke 2:11 identifies Jesus as savior Christ and lord and this evening as i mentioned we're going to do a bit of bible study and we'll uh, be jumping around a little bit so forgive me ahead of time for that and i hope that uh, miss bonnie in the back can keep up with me with the slides i've already told her she's free to wave and jump up and even call my name if she kind of loses her place and needs us to kind of reset because I can't do two things at the same time. I'm not going to be able to, so Bonnie, you're going to have to stay with me. Anyway, we're going to be doing a bit of Bible study here and examining each of these three descriptors or titles of Jesus, and then in the end we'll conclude by asking how this revelation should impact us. The first descriptor that we'll look at is Savior. Luke 2.11 says that Jesus will be a Savior. The Greek word underlying our English word Savior means rescuer, deliverer. Jesus came to be our rescuer, our deliverer. Our Savior. This was announced very specifically in another Christmas passage. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew 1:21, very familiar text, the angel of the Lord instructs Joseph, saying that Mary, his espoused wife, shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He shall save his people from their sins. As Pastor Coles mentioned this morning, the name Jesus means the Lord saves or Jehovah saves, Yahweh saves. Aren't you glad tonight that Jesus came to save us from our sins? When you consider the mess That sin makes in the world, and all you have to do is turn on the television and watch for five seconds. When you consider the mess that sin has made in the lives of people that you know, maybe uh, certain family members, friends, neighbors, the heartache, the emptiness, the shame, the ugliness, it should make us praise God for our Savior. Jesus, who came, Galatians 1 says, to deliver us from this present evil world. That Jesus would bring salvation from sin is also evident in our text, Luke 2. Look at verse 10 again, Luke 2, 10, where the angel announces good tidings, good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. That phrase, good tidings, the underlying Greek word is actually the basis for our word evangel or evangelist. It's, of course, a reference to the gospel, the good news of salvation that would be available through the baby who would be born in that manger in Bethlehem. Simeon was anticipating this good news, this gospel. Do you remember Simeon? Please skip down to uh, verse 25 and following. Uh, You recall that Simeon was looking for the Savior. And again, as we mentioned a moment ago, sadly, many today in our world fail to see that Jesus is Savior because they're not looking. They don't care to look. They don't want to look. But Simeon was looking for the Savior. Let's notice uh, Luke 2, 28 through 30. When he uh, saw the baby, Jesus, and this is only days after Jesus' birth, Simeon took the baby in his arms, took Jesus in his arms, and blessed God and said, Lord, now us, thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Simeon recognized that Jesus was the Savior of mankind. That he would be the Savior of the whole world, including Gentiles. If you skip down to verse 32, you see that Simeon Simeon was one of the few Jews who understood that the Messiah was coming for Gentiles as well. It appears that perhaps Simeon had studied his Old Testament maybe a little bit harder than the rest. He had read Isaiah 42.6, Isaiah 49.6, and other Old Testament passages that indicated that the Messiah would be a light unto the Gentiles, as well as the glory of his people, Israel. And we can pause right there, just a quick aside. Aren't you glad for that truth? Uh, As a Gentile myself, I certainly am. Praise God. Praise God for his mercy to us Gentiles. And perhaps... Uh, Perhaps in a future sermon, in the weeks or months to come, we'll look more closely at this matter of the mystery, as Paul puts it in the book of Ephesians, this mystery of the church and Gentile salvation. Uh, But for now, we'll we'll move on. Uh, Anna was another devout Jew who was looking for the Savior. And we see in verse 38... That when she saw the baby, Jesus, she gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him, that is, she spoke about Jesus, to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And so Anna and Simeon and others, they were looking for redemption. They were looking for the Savior. They were eager to embrace him. Are you? Have you embraced the savior like Simeon did? Young person, teenager, adult. Most, most of you in attendance tonight probably have, and so you can give thanks to God like Simeon and Anna did. But perhaps there are a few here tonight who still need to embrace Jesus as Savior. Perhaps you've been resisting him. Well, you can receive him tonight. You can receive him tonight. The Bible says, remember, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through him. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the Savior. He's the only Savior. Let's consider the next descriptor or title of Jesus from Luke 2.11. And we're going to take them out of order at this point, and so we're gonna look next at the term Lord. Lord. In Luke 2.11, the angel says that the baby of Bethlehem, Jesus, will be Lord. The Greek term here for Lord is kurios. What does that word mean? What does it imply? Well, a, uh, a critic, a skeptic, a Jehovah's Witness, might argue that the fact that the word kurios, or Lord, is ascribed here to Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that he is God. Since that word, kurios, is sometimes used in Greek literature of human lords, human masters, human rulers. But significantly, this word, the Greek word kurios, is used some 6,156 times in the Septuagint in place of Yahweh or Jehovah, the I Am, the personal name of God by which he identified himself to Moses in Exodus 3.14. By the way, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, a translation that was made by the Jews in the third century B.C. Now, the Septuagint is not its not inspired scripture, but the Holy Spirit of God, obviously knowing that the Greek word kurios had been used to translate the Hebrew term Yahweh, in the Septuagint, chooses this same term to refer to Jesus Christ in the New Testament. In other words, the Holy Spirit, while inspiring the New Testament, uses a Greek term to identify Jesus that was connected to the Hebrew word for Yahweh in the Old Testament. So what's the significance of that, you ask? Well. Uh, If the term is used to refer to Yahweh on the one hand, and it's also used of Jesus on the other hand, that constitutes solid evidence, at least in my mind, that Jesus is God. In fact, we could say that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. Jesus is Yahweh. Jehovah. And the choir sang about that last week. Do you remember that? Remember when they and and Tim Brown sang the song, Mary, Did You Know? Now that song, just like the Septuagint, is not inspired scripture. But I think it represents biblical truth when it says, Mary, did you know that the sleeping child you're holding is the great, the great I am. And of course, again, uh, I am translates Yahweh or Jehovah, the name by which God first identified himself to Moses in Exodus three, God's personal name in the Old Testament. You know what else is kind of interesting? There's another way that we can demonstrate that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament, that he is Yahweh, without considering the Septuagint. There are several ways, actually, but uh, tonight, recall, we're just focusing on Luke 2.11 and that term, Lord, kurios, in the Greek. So we're, we're just focusing on, on that word. Um, but there are instra- instances in the Bible in which New Testament authors, when quoting Old Testament passages that refer to Yahweh substitute the Greek kurios when kurios is clearly referring to Jesus in the context. And I know that may be a little bit confusing, so let's look at an example. Turn with me, if you would please, to Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Joel chapter 2 verse 32. And keep a finger there. And for those of you who are already there, you can turn to Romans 10, 13 as well. Can keep a finger there. We're going to compare these two verses. So find both of them, if you could, please, and uh, hold on to both of them so you can take a look at both. Joel 2, verse 32, and we're just going to look at the first part of that verse. And then Romans 10, 13. In Joel 2, verse 32, the first part of that ber- verse, the Bible says. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. You see the word Lord there in all capital letters. The underlying Hebrew word is what? You want to guess? Do you know it? Yahweh, Jehovah, the I am. Very good. Israel's God, the God of the Old Testament, the personal name of God. Now again, hold your place there and compare Joel 2.32 with Romans 10 and verse 13. In Romans 10.13, Paul is quoting Joel 2.32, but Paul is writing in Greek instead of in Hebrew. And so he uses the term Lord, or kurios, instead of Yahweh, when he writes, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But who is the Lord in the context of Romans ten thirteen? If you look, who's he been writing about in the previous verses? I know we didn't read these, but uh, you're familiar with this passage. Look at verse 4, Romans 10, 4. Look at 10, 9. Clearly, Paul has been writing about Jesus. In fact, the whole passage is about Jesus. And so it's very significant that Paul substitutes Jesus through the use of the Greek term kurios when quoting an Old Testament passage that refers to Yahweh. Israel's God in the Old Testament. So we conclude that such substitutions, if you will, serve as inspired evidence that Jesus is Yahweh. In other words, Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. He is God. Jesus is Lord. By the way, what we're, what we're saying here, what we've been Pointing out these last several minutes does not destroy Trinitarian doctrine. The Bible teaches that God is one God in three persons. And the three persons of the Godhead are distinct, and yet they are one. And that uh, concept is too hard for us to wrap our brains around, but we believe it. Because the Bible says it. We accept it by faith. But for our purposes tonight, it's important that we grasp that Jesus Christ, contrary to what many religions teach, contrary to what many people in this world believe, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. He is the great I Am. And one day, the Bible tells us, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Of course, this understanding is essential to salvation, right? As Romans 10.9 says that we must confess Jesus as Lord in order to be saved. And so have you done that tonight? Have you done that, young person, teenager? Adult. Salvation is not fire insurance. It's not uh, hedging your bets about heaven or hell. It's not about repeating a prayer so that you can go to heaven and avoid hell. Instead, it's about bowing your heart before the Lord Jesus, the creator, the sustainer, the controller of the universe the almighty God, the Lord of lords. Let's consider the final, the third and final descriptor of Jesus in Luke 2.11. We've already seen that the baby born in Bethlehem is Savior and Lord. Luke 2.11 also identifies Jesus as the Christ The Christ. This is not Jesus' last name, by the way. You know that. Instead, it's a title. The original Hebrew word is Mashiach or Messiah. It means the anointed one. The one anointed by God. And I decided to take this title out of order and cover it last because in a sense... It's almost a summation of the previous two titles or descriptors that we just looked at. Because the Old Testament prophecies that speak of the Messiah portray him as both Savior and Lord. Both Redeemer and the Son of God, the Divine King. And of course tonight we don't have time to review all of those uh, Old Testament passages. There are far too many of them, way too many of them. But we will look at two of them uh, very briefly. First, let's uh, let's quickly consider one of those passages that speaks of the Messiah as Savior. Okay, speaks of the Messiah as Savior in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, a well-known text Isaiah 53 verses 5 and 6 the Bible says this of the Messiah he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so, it's clear from Isaiah chapter 53 that the Messiah would bring salvation to his people, that he would be their savior. Let's look at another Old Testament passage that speaks of the Messiah. This time, however, as Lord, as deity, as the Son of God. Psalm 2. Turn with me, please, to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. And if you get there, you can begin to glance through it. I'm not going to read the whole psalm tonight. But when you get there, start to glance through it. Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. It speaks clearly of the Messiah, of Jesus. In fact, do you see at the the end of verse 2, the end of verse 2, that word anointed, where it says his anointed, referring to God's anointed anointed, that's the word Messiah. That is the Hebrew word Messiah, and it clearly refers here to Jesus. How do we know this? Well, contextually, we know that the passage points forward to Jesus' second coming, the battle of Armageddon and his millennial reign from David's throne in Jerusalem, But notice also that the Messiah of verse 2 is called what in verses 7 and 12? Take a look at those two verses. The Messiah of verse 2, what is He called in verse 7 and verse 12? The Son. God calls the Messiah His Son. In those two verses, the Messiah, the anointed one, God's anointed one, is his son. And verse 11 probably refers to Jesus as well, calling him Lord. And so, Messiah is deity, he's the son of God and Lord. And what does Psalm 2 say about the Messiah, who is the son of God? Well, again, as we just mentioned, it points forward to his return when the divine king, Jesus, vanquishes Israel's enemies and is installed as millennial ruler in Jerusalem. You know, the Messiah has already come the first time as Savior, but he's coming again a second time as Lord. And, of course, he was Lord the first time he came, and he'll still be Savior the second time he comes. But you understand what I'm trying to emphasize, and I think this is the biblical emphasis. Um, Take a look at Revelation 19, which talks about the return of the king, the Lord of lords. And so if you're uh, disillusioned, as I can be, When you turn on the news, if you get uh, in a bad mood, uh, when you check the headlines on your phone with the sorry state of our world today, the lack of truth, the lack of law and order, wait till King Jesus, the Messiah, sits on the throne. The Bible says that in those days, the law will go forth from Zion, from Jerusalem. And Psalm 2, where you are, Psalm 2 says, look at verse 9. Psalm 2, 9 says that King Jesus will break the rebels with a rod of iron. He will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Wow. Wow. So what's the, uh, what's the application for us living today in 2021? Well, don't be a rebel. Don't rebel against the Messiah. Don't turn away from him. Look at verse 10. These, uh, we're going to read verses 10, 11, and 12. These verses are written primarily to world leaders who will consider opposing the Messiah at his second coming. But these verses also had an application for those in King David's day who thought to oppose his rule. And there's a contemporary application here for anyone who is still on the fence concerning the Messiah. Anyone today who is on the fence concerning Jesus. And so Psalm 2, verse 10, perhaps we could read it this way. Perhaps we could read it this way as we consider a contemporary application. Be wise now, therefore, O ye who hear this psalm in December of 2021. Be instructed, ye who are listening tonight, who read these words. Then verses 11 and 12, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. In other words, you better bow now before the Messiah because he is Lord. But look at the reassurance in the final part of verse 12. Blessed or happy are all they that put their trust in him. Praise God. The Messiah is Lord, but he can be our Savior as well. Let's conclude. How should we respond to these truths? We've already made some applications along the way, but let's, let's try to sum things up. Remember, we began by referring to the song, Sweet Little Jesus Boy. That song reminds us of the fact that when Jesus came, there were many who would not believe that he was the Messiah, the Savior, and the Son of God, the Lord. And there are many today who sadly make that same error. Some, like Muslims or Jehovah's Witnesses, simply deny that Jesus is God. Others today, probably many Americans, perhaps even many in Christian churches across our country, they may be willing to admit that Jesus is God but they've never bowed their hearts before him. They're still living in opposition to the Messiah. What about you? Do you recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is savior and Lord? If you've never bowed your heart in submission to King Jesus, You can do that tonight, and we can help you with that. Or if you're a young person, you can speak with one of your parents uh, tonight after the service. Again, most of you have done that, praise the Lord. And so what is the application for believers tonight? Well, let's look at our text again. Let's go back to Luke chapter 2. Back to Luke chapter 2. I'll give you a few seconds to get back there. What are applications for believers, those of you who know the Messiah as your Savior and Lord? We're gonna draw three very quick applications. Uh, Quick because these are the same applications that Pastor Pastor Coles made in his message this morning, and that's not surprising since uh, we're both looking at the same text. And so I won't uh, belabor this, but I will just review them quickly. First, look at verse 10 again. Luke 2, verse 10. The angel says that his announcement is one of joy. These are tidings of great joy. And so tonight, if you're a believer, rejoice. Rejoice. Be glad. And I'm not going to try to Pastor Coles did a good job of, he gave you the smiley face and then the sad face. I'm not going to do, I can't do it as well as he did. But, uh, but be glad and rejoice. If you've been rescued from a life of sin, a life of misery, a life of depression and sadness and emptiness and ugliness and filthiness, then Rejoice that Jesus is Savior. Second, look at verses 13 and 14, along with verse 20. Just glance at those verses again. Verses 13 and 14, and then 20. What's the common theme in those verses? What's the common theme in those verses? Praise to God, right? And so if you're a believer, this Christmas, give Praise to God. Of course, you can give praise to Jesus, for he is God. He is the Lord. He is the great I am, worthy of all our praise and worship. And then third, look at verse 17. What did the shepherds do after they went to see the baby? What did the shepherds do? Verse 17 says, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And we need to do the same thing. We need to tell others. As the choir sang just uh, several minutes ago, we must go tell it on the mountain that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, and that as Messiah, he is Savior, and Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for sending Jesus, the Messiah promised to Israel, the Savior of the world, and the Lord of all, the great I Am. And Father, as we consider who Jesus is, Lord, help us to rejoice. Help us to give praise and glory and honor to your name, to worship you, to worship Jesus. And help us to share these truths with others. And Lord, if there's one here tonight who has not yet bowed their heart, before King Jesus and received him as their personal Lord and Savior. May they, may they do that soon, Father, even tonight. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the